Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 717 with Devorah Zach. Devorah is back talking about how logical thinker types and sensitive feeler types can work well together. So you'll learn, one, how to tell if you're more of a cactus or a snowflake, two, the leadership style that harms motivation, and three, the platinum rule for giving feedback. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to the items that we mentioned here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP717. That's awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep717. And if you're hanging out at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some cool stuff such as the full text transcript of every episode. Now, you can use the magnifying glass in the upper right to search that full text. Or if you actually want to read some of the goods, maybe you wanted to take some notes above and beyond what's in the Gold Nugget email summaries, you can find the individual text for an individual episode once you navigate to the page of the post by either going to podcasts, recent episodes, or just that short code I gave you, like awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP717. And then you'll scroll a little bit. We got a play bar with the title, the play bar, a graphic, the, hey, you'll learn these things, and here's about the guests, and here's some resources mentioned in the links. And then at toward the bottom, it has a little gray rectangle that says guest name interview transcript. And if you click that, it expands the whole thing. Now, it's deliberately minimized a bit so that the transcript doesn't dominate the page, but that's the story. I've had uh, three or four requests or questions in recent months about, hey, you said you get those transcripts, but I can't find them. What's going on? That's what's going on. They are in a subtle gray rectangle on the post page toward the bottom and deliberately minimized so that, you know, we just don't have tons of text dominating all of that when maybe all you really wanted was to click the sponsorship link or check out the cool book that they mentioned, it won't be dominating there. So if you're wondering about the transcripts, that's the story. And here is Devorah's story. Devorah Zach is the CEO of Only Connect Consulting, a Washington Post bestselling author and a global keynote speaker with books in 20 languages. Her clients include Deloitte, the Smithsonian, Delta Airlines, the FDA, Johns Hopkins, and the National Institutes of Health. She's been featured by many publications such as the Wall Street Journal and Forbes. She is the author of Managing for People Who Hate Managing, Single Tasking, and her upcoming book is called The Cactus and the Snowflake at Work, How the Logical and sensitive can thrive side by side. Big thanks to Devorah for sharing her wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And now, here's Devorah. Devorah, welcome back to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 
Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Oh, boy. Well, I'm excited to dig into into your work here. The Cactus and Snowflake at Work. I've done a number of Myers-Briggs workshops in my day. And so I'm, I'm digging what you're, what you're talking about. Can you maybe share with us uh, what's sort of overall the, the big idea or main thesis here? The big idea of this book is that some people lead with their heads and some people lead with their hearts and they can really get on each other's nerves. However, with the right set of tools and understanding of different personality styles, we can be each other's best friends instead of worst enemies. Okay, well said. And so can you maybe share with us, for starters, something that was particularly surprising or counterintuitive that you discovered in putting together this work? I've actually been really interested in this dimension of personality for many, many years. And as you know, I've written a couple books that feature introversion and extroversion, and those are better known in the general culture than uh, thinkers and feelers. So I really was excited to come out with a book with a different focus about thinkers and feelers. However, since those terms aren't as well known, uh, we decided to give them more playful terminology and call them cactus and snowflakes. Mm -hmm. And so the, the cactus being the thinker, because they might be prickly or, or blunt, and the snowflake, the feeler, because they may have hurt feelings. Is that the premise here? I've identified three main distinctions between these two. Let's hear them. The cactus who leads with his head or her head tends to be more logical, analytical, and direct. And the snowflake who leads with his or her heart tends to be more sensitive, empathetic, and diplomatic. One thing to keep in mind is that everyone has a bits and pieces of both of them. So it's not that there's just two clear-cut types of personalities, but envision a continuum, a line where people are somewhere along the middle. And a few people are at the far ends, but most of us can identify to a greater level lesser extent with both personality dichotomies. Mm-hmm. Certainly, that totally resonates. And, and I guess I'm curious, if folks are in one camp and then the other, what might be some mistakes that they make they don't even know they're making? Like, like a straight-up blind spot. It's like, oh, I had no idea that I have offended you in this way or overlooked this key thing. Uh, what are some, some real watch-outs that each type should look out for? Well, one watch out is to think that people are all basically the same. In fact, people are dramatically different from each other in terms of how we live in the world and how we experience the same situations and how we communicate. So a mistake many of us make is that we tend to use what would motivate us to try and motivate others or to build rapport with us to use that on others. When in fact, often what would motivate you if you're a different personality style than me is completely opposite of what I would be motivated by. So I introduced the big two in this book, along with a bunch of other ideas and tips and techniques. The big two is to observe and ask to figure out what someone else's preferences are, and then to calibrate your communication to meet others where they're at. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we're observing, what are some of the key things we should be on the lookout for? Some telltale signs that are helpful. One is the types of words people emphasize, the language people use, and I have a whole translation section in the book. However, at the most basic level, uh, cacti tend to use the word think more often, and snowflakes tend to use the word feel more often. And in our English language, they're mostly interchangeable. You can say, well, what'd you think about that podcast? Oh, I felt like it was really interesting and enlightening. So just listening at the very beginning of learning how to flex your style, that's what I call meeting people when they're, where they're at, is to just notice and observe who uses think and who uses feel more often, and then to match that language whenever possible. If you're 
let's say, presenting to a large group, you can assume there's cacti and snowflakes within the room and you want to practice integrating both types of language into your presentation so that you can connect with as many people as possible. You know, that's a really interesting point there in terms of just the language itself. In terms of, I think this, I feel that. Because a lot of times when people say, I feel this, it's not actually an emotion that they're identifying. It's like, I feel like we've been spending a lot of money lately. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's not an emotion. That is a thought. And yet, if someone who, a cactus, who prefers thinking would be more likely to say, I think we've been spending a lot of money lately versus the snowflake who prefers feeling would be more likely to say, I feel like we're spending a lot of money lately. And that's really intriguing that they were expressing the exact same, exact same thing. And yet there's a clue as to how we, we may be oriented in and working with the world around us. That's right. And that's the tip of the iceberg. Oh boy! We can also look at how people decorate their homes or offices. And you can do that even if you're Zooming or working remotely, you can also calibrate how you envision or experience a situation against how others do. Another important concept I introduced in this book is what I call the non event. And what that means is that something that could be a big deal to me if I'm a snowflake might be a complete non event to you as a cactus. So we may walk out of a meeting and I may think, wow, everybody sure fell apart in that meeting. We're going to have to start from scratch. And you might respond by saying, what are you talking about? It was totally productive. It was fine. And it's easy to be judgmental to each other around that and think that each other is wrong or insensitive or too sensitive. When in fact, what one person picks up on may be completely a non-event to the other person as if it didn't even happen. Similarly, if a cactus and snowflake are walking along together and one of them maybe ignores the other one for a few minutes, then that one person could be really offended and the other one was thinking, what are you talking about? We were just walking quietly. So non-events are a very big deal to look out for in the world to figure out if you and other people are on the same wavelength. Oh, that's interesting. Thank you. And so then I'm curious, let's say you got a clear sense, okay, hey, I'm clearly a cactus or I am clearly a snowflake. And then I'm interacting with someone who has a, a differing preference. What are your, your favorite tips in terms of how to do that effectively? Well, the first step, even before that, if we can just rewind a tiny bit, oh, sure. is to get to know and understand your own personality styles. So the book actually has a self-assessment in it. So you can figure out not only if you're primarily cactus or snowflake, but how strong your preference is. And then is to work with rather than fight against your own natural personality. So that's the first step is getting acquainted with yourself and having a level of acceptance with yourself. Then we get to the next point, which is what you were getting at, which is how do we communicate with each other? And we aren't always going to get it right, particularly because we may not know what personality style people have when we first meet them. However, by listening carefully, that's a very useful tool in finding out where someone's coming from and asking general questions and letting the other person decide how specific to get in their responses. That helps us in building rapport and also communicating with people that we may or may not know where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. That presupposes also that we are open to understanding and working with different types of people. It's easy to say, oh, if you're the opposite personality style of me, that we're just going to aggravate each other. However, we can be each other's greatest resources because if I'm, a, let's say I'm a cactus and I'm very logical and analytical and I work with you and you might be more of a snowflake and you're more empathetic, we can give each other tips and help each other out in areas that we're not gifted in by filling in the blanks for each other. 
Mm-hmm. Certainly. Well, can you share some cool stories and examples that bring this to life? Sure. Here's one. And it is do good versus feel good leadership. So a lot of people who read my books are interested in how they can work with other people, particularly if they're managing other people. And it's tempting to, if it's a leader, to be what I call a feel-good leader, to just make people feel good and to say, oh, that was great. Keep up the good work. I'm so proud of you. Keep at it. But in fact, it's also very helpful. And that's more of a snowflake tendency. What the cacti is more likely to do is what I call do-good leadership, which is to say, well, you can do better than that. I know that you can achieve higher aspirations than what you're settling for. And I know you can try harder. So a snowflake might initially be really put off by the fact that someone's telling them that they can do better and it's not good enough. However, what's interesting is that when I work with different groups, the do good leadership style actually motivates people more and makes them feel better than the feel good leadership style, which makes just, which just says to people, oh, you're fine. You're fine as it is. And then they don't achieve their potential. Hmm. Well, now that's, that's quite an insight right there. And I think those who are practicing the feel-good approach will probably have a bit of resistance <laughs> to, to making a switch because one, that could be rather uncomfortable. Yet the, the, the prize is, is twofold there. That's pretty awesome in terms of not only are you getting better results, but people are feeling better like, hey, I did great work and I'm improving and, and I'm, I'm making cool stuff in the world. So, so that's powerful. So can you underscore that a little bit for the skeptic or the resistant snowflake, <laughs> what's some of the, the most compelling evidence that, that really confirms, yeah, this is absolutely true, so go for it, even though it's uncomfortable? What I do when I'm working with people and I'm trying to convince them that there's a lot of benefit to do good leadership is I ask them to reflect upon an important and, and meaningful coach that they've had in their life. And it can be an actual coach like a, from a team or it could be a leader or a family member or somebody that inspired them and to write down traits of that coach and how the coach inspired that person. And more often than not, the lists are full of things like pushed me harder than I'd been pushed before, didn't accept half an effort. And they soon discovered that the people that have made the biggest positive impact in their life have often been people that pushed them further than they thought they could go, which is a trait of do good leadership. Yeah, it's beautiful. As you say this, I'm thinking right now about my high school English teacher, Judy Federmeyer, and how I was kind of accustomed to getting great grades all the time, fairly easily. And then I think when I first writing assignment with her, I, I got like a B or a B plus. I thought, what's going on? <laughs> I am not accustomed to such things. And, and, and it was, it was kind of unsettling in the moment, but boy, it was so valuable in terms of like, oh, for, I actually need to exert some effort in so doing my writing got a lot better. And so I am forever grateful to Mrs. Federmeyer. Pete, I love that you gave that example because my best coach was also my high school English teacher, Mr. James Killian. Awesome. (laughs) And my first essay that came back covered in red ink was quite a blow. However, the fact that I can write books now, I give him all the credit. (laughs) That's good. That's good, certainly. And and it does feel good in terms of the growth in the moment and then the long-term abilities that you have. And then my fondness for her as you share to this day. So that's beautiful. Cool. Well, so, so tell us any other transformational tidbits uh, along those lines in terms of you might think this, but in fact, here's this other thing that's true that you might want to get on board with. 
Sure thing. So another idea I have in the book is what I call NAY, N-A-Y, and it stands for not about you. So when you are, whether you're a cactus or a snowflake, when you're put off by another person's behavior or language or style is to think it's not about me. N-A-Y, not about you, not about you. Because we often tend to take other people's personalities personally (laughs) when in fact they just have different personalities than us. And the more we can accept, once again, as I mentioned before, that we're really different from each other and stop trying to correct other people, particularly in our own minds, the more effective we'll be. So if I want to improve the world, the best thing I can do is focus on myself and focus on the three things that I can control, which are my thoughts, words, and actions. And that's it. I can only control what I say, do, and experience in the world. And to this end, I encourage people to mind their own business. (laughs) So often when you hear mind your own business, it's considered something kind of rude or impolite. However, it can be inspirational too, that I don't have to live outside of my own business. I don't have to worry about other people achieving their potential by meeting me where I'm at. Instead, I can just always say it's my responsibility to meet others where they're at, regardless of what our relationship's like, or if I report to them, or if they're more senior than I am is to always just say, I'm going to focus on my own thoughts, words, and actions and take responsibility for how I engage with others. I really like that not about you. And sometimes it's not about you, even if they're talking about you (laughs) in certain occasions in terms of like just the mood, right? If folks are, I don't want to say sometimes it's, it's, it's lashing out or if you're in a, in a mood, it can sort of color everything in terms of how you are communicating with with other people. And or if, if you are the cactus and have a certain bluntness, then it can be super helpful to remember in the snowflake position, oh, I, I'm not horrible at my job. <laughs> this person doesn't hate me. It's not about you at all, just how they how they express it. That's lovely. Could you give us some more cool examples of collaboration then when it comes to how we might complement each other's temperaments extra nicely? Sure. So let's say, for example, I'm a cactus and... I believe that this touchy-feely stuff is, can make a difference in building rapport, but I'm don't, not really gifted at it. And so I think, well, my team is better off without us attempting to have this motivation of rapport. Our team is better off without having these touchy-feely interactions. Uh, instead, what I can do is identify someone who I work with who seems to have a snowflake quality and ask them to take the lead on maybe some get to know you activities or building connections among team members. And so finding out who's good at what, and you don't have to always be the smart one in the room or the one who's leading. And instead finding people who match certain objectives you have and letting them take the reins. So it's, it takes a little bit of humility to do that. And in the end, you'll be having a more productive team because you'll have all different perspectives introduced from the cactus and the snowflake perspective. Yeah, that's good. And well, and I think it could go vice versa in terms of, I'm thinking about days where we interviewed a bunch of candidates and then, you know, we made our decisions and then we needed to call all of them. And the vast majority of were told, no, you will not be moving forward at this, in this interview process, which I have a lot of snowflake tendencies myself. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't, oh, I really, really don't want to do that. You know, killing dreams after dream after dream just on the phone. And then someone else on the team was like, oh, that's fine. I, I don't mind. It's <laughs> just like no problem. So, so it's intriguing how 
it can take just way more or way less emotional energy, uh, depending on, on the nature of the task and the nature of their temperament. That's right. And when you're working with someone more long-term, and you, let's say you need or want or don't want to, but have to give someone feedback, it's easy to give feedback in the way that you like to hear it, as opposed to what resonates with the other person. So that's why I don't totally believe in the golden rule, which is treat others how you want to be treated. I use the platinum rule instead, which is treat others how they want to be treated. So if I am a snowflake and I like to get feedback in the following way, like, oh, Devorah, it's so nice to see you. You look really nice today. And we all really appreciate your input. And then that might ease the blow of things I need to fix or work on or improve upon or things I might not be aware of that are not in my realm of consciousness. On the other hand, someone who's a strong cactus, if I started giving feedback to that person in the same way, it would really, it would really get on their nerves and make them feel like it was just fluff and I was beating around the bush and so on. So they might much prefer, and in my experience, this is true, feedback that's very direct. Like, I want to give you feedback on three behaviors that I think we can switch and improve so that you can be more effective when working with the board of directors. And that, can actually make their eyes light up like, oh, great. Thanks for the feedback. And I've seen this play out in real life situations again and again, that flexing your style, in other words, giving feedback or communicating with someone in a way that works for them is way more effective than giving feedback in a way that works for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. So the platinum rule is a nice example of, of a best practice that cuts across here in terms of regardless of, of whether you are a cactus or a snowflake, or the person you're communicating with is a cactus or a snowflake, that notion of thinking about their style and delivering it in a manner that that works for their style works well. Are there any other, quote unquote, universal best practices that, hey, regardless of, of who you are and your preferences and temperament and the person you're interacting with, some things that tend to work well across the temperaments? Yes. Another concept that I introduce in the book is what I call beans up the nose. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, its roots come from, um, perhaps you might recall in first grade or so, if a teacher might do an art project with dried beans and Elmer's glue and paper, and uh, what you would do is glue the beans to the paper and artful designs, and that was your project. Does this uh, ring a bell? Did you ever do that as a kid? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the worst thing the teacher can say as the students start working away with their projects is now class, whatever you do, don't put beans up your nose. (laughs) And sure enough, beans start flying up noses and the school nurse has to come running in and help out. So we, as I'm using that as a metaphor, we put beans up people's noses all the time. And whether we're snowflakes or cacti, we just have different tendencies in how we do it. So what I caution people about is be careful what you say because you might be putting beans up someone else's nose. So always pause before you speak and think, is this putting beans up the nose? And I have to say, I do it myself. And it's amazing how often I almost suggest to people to put beans up their nose in terms of, oh, I'm really not good at speaking off the cuff. So I'm probably going to mess up this Q&A during, at the end of the speech. Or if someone says, I'm really very sensitive as a snowflake, so I might start crying in the middle of the performance feedback. And in other words, making people think about things or that they weren't, didn't even have in their mind beforehand. And this happens in interviews a lot, and it happens when people are working with opposite types a lot. So just be careful about putting beans up people's noses. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that connects in terms of of some folks talking about <laughs> certain kind of rules or guidelines or principles, and it's like that wouldn't have even occurred to me <laughs> to to do this thing that I'm not supposed to do. Well, Devorah, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Well, to know that everyone has times when they are their own opposite. And sometimes that can be by design because they want to be effective. And so they're using tools that come from the other side of the spectrum, which is fine. And other times it can be because we're in a difficult spot and we go into our own shadow state, which is based on some of Carl Jung's concepts. So sometimes we short circuit and become our own opposites. So I might, for example, if I'm a sensitive snowflake, suddenly start being very insensitive to people around me. Or if I'm a cactus who's very straightforward, I might start beating around the bush and not tell people really what I'm thinking. So it's to be understanding of ourselves and to be able to recognize when we're in a shadow state, and that'll help us get out of it. And also, if you have worked with someone or live with someone or know someone pretty well, and they start acting like their own opposite, to know that they are might be short-circuiting also, and to respond in a way that's supportive as opposed to amplifying the issues that someone's dealing with. Uh-huh. They say short-circuited. I'm curious. What are some things that trigger you to go opposite or shadow state? So sometimes it's unanticipated change. Sometimes it's uh, when you're sleep-deprived or mentally or physically drained. Sometimes it's when you feel misunderstood or when you are unclear about what direction you want to head in. So when you're in challenging situations is when you're most likely to go into a shadow state. And I call that being in the grip, like in the grip of your own personality, short-circuiting. Mm-hmm. All right. And so then those are stressors. And then the ideally, someone will be supportive and encouraging when we're in that place. And if we're only working on ourselves without that support, any, any pro tips in terms of kind of getting back to center? Yeah. And it's actually a similar tip to people trying to be supportive. Also, a lot of times people try and be supportive by saying you shouldn't be upset or it's not a big deal downplaying it either in your own mind, if you're taking care of yourself or to someone else, if you're attempting to make them feel better by letting them know that they are overreacting and that completely backfires. So instead is validating yourself and others when they're in a shadow state and to not say you shouldn't feel this way, but to say, I can see that you're really upset. Or if it's just you dealing with something inside your own head is saying it's valid for me to be upset as opposed to saying there's something wrong with me. And then you get more upset about the fact that you're upset. That's great. Thank you. All right. Well, now can we hear a favorite quote? So that you find inspiring. Sure. So this is a Henry Miller quote. He's an author and I love it so much that it's taped to my computer (laughs) when I'm writing a book. (laughs) Don't be nervous. Work calmly, joyously, recklessly, whatever is in hand. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, I really just love following any up and coming neuroscience because I find it really fascinating to see how our brains work according to scientists and how that plays into organizational behavior and supports a lot of stuff that people in my field and general management have been professing for a long time, but then finding out what is happening with our neurotransmitter signals in our brain to me is just fascinating. And how about a favorite book? My favorite book has always been The Phantom Tollbooth since I was about 11 years old. And I just think it's the greatest book. I've read it a million times. And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job? I actually have a brand new favorite tool. I'm so excited. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh boy. It's a 1960 typewriter that still works. And to do writing on a real typewriter is very exciting. And it's called the torpedo, which I think is kind of cool. But it really, it gets a whole different part of the brain going when I write on it. That's intriguing. What part of the brain, how would you articulate the difference? Well, you can't, backpedal like you can when you're typing on a computer. (laughs) And so you have to just move forward and do a pure stream of consciousness writing without rearranging things or deleting things. And what you come up with then is very visceral and often more raw than what happens when you're writing on a computer. And a lot of great insights come of it. Cool. And a favorite habit? Journaling every morning. And a key nugget you share that really seems to resonate, connect with people. They quote it back to you often. Be true to yourself. Work with rather than fighting against your true personality. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? My company website, myonlyconnect.com. And currently there's also a link to it for cactussnowflake.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Everyone's exactly how they're supposed to be. Nobody needs to be fixed. All right. Devorah, this has been a treat. Uh, Thank you. And I wish you many happy collaborations. Thank you. This being one of them. I really love that simple thing to listen for that Devorah mentioned in terms of do people tend to say, I think this or I feel this. And that is one clue as to how they are operating. And what I've noticed in myself, and this is kind of fun, is that I am a feeler, but just barely. If you take the Myers-Briggs step two with the sub facets, as I have several times. I love myself some logic and evidence and data, but I really operate with values-based reasoning in terms of what is fundamentally worthwhile and what is fundamentally not worthwhile. And once we're there, I mean, yeah, I'm going to have some fun running some numbers and and playing the the cactus or, or thinker game. But what I find even in my own language ever since Devorah brought this to my attention is that sometimes I'll say, I think this, and other times I'll say, I feel this, in a context in which you could use either one. And sure enough, that is sharing that I'm a little bit more in the thinker mode or the feeler mode at the time that I say those things. So I thought that was pretty cool. So have a listen for that and adapt your communications accordingly. Again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, or the links to items that we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP717. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 